Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. Today I've got no stranger to the podcast with us. I have John Shaw here. John was actually with us to start this series that we have featured this fall on Outward OPC that's basically been on communication. We called it Truth and Love, Communicating the Gospel in Our Speech and Our Action. And for those of you that listen regularly, remember that John kind of came on and set up why that series was important and what we would be covering. And and we had planned to have John come back on uh, once or twice later in this series to talk about some really kind of hot button issues, some some difficult topics and how that relates to communication in, in church life and with our neighbor and in our culture and things like that. So John, we're, we're glad to have you here. And since you're a regular, I'm just going to throw you right on the, I'm going to fire up the hot seat right to begin with and say, as you uh, start this, could you tell us why the topic that we have for today, which is race and the church, why is that something we in the Reformed Church should be talking about? And what I'm thinking is I could imagine a whole host of our listeners would be excited to hear that we're talking about this topic in communication. I could I could think of many others who might say, yeah, everybody's kind of talking about it. Do we really need to jump in the fray you know, and just talk about that. So I was wondering if you could start by kind of laying out your thoughts on why it's important for us to be talking about the issue of race and the church. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great question, Brad. Um, it, it seems to me, first of all, almost obvious that we should be talking about it because the world's talking about it. it it's front and center um in the minds of almost everyone it's certainly front and center in the minds of the church as well and and so i think it's a topic that should be at the front of our minds uh, because as we minister to to our neighbors uh, to our families they're thinking about this and we should be thinking about it as well Uh, i think also we should talk about it because the bible talks about it Uh, the bible has a lot to say about race The gospel has significant uh, things to say about race. Even just thinking about descriptions in Ephesians of the gospel and what Christ came to do by the blood of his cross to tear down walls of division. And I know that has very specific connotation to the content of the gospel, but it has implications as well for how we live uh, with each other. And so it's a topic that's right at the heart of what we understand to be true about what Christ came to accomplish. So it's it's both a topic that the world's talking about, but it's also a topic that the scriptures address. So I suspect my next question sort of ties into that, um, what, why we're talking about it. When you, when you came on to open this series, you talked about a number of different things, but you spent quite a bit of time on the image of God and talking about how communication in general and loving our neighbor and talking to people comes out of this reality of that we're all created in the image of God. Others in this series, even others who didn't know you would be talking about that, have brought up the image of God as well as they've dealt with their various 
uh, topics that we've asked them to either talk about or write about. So I wonder if you could maybe bring that in now and tell us how you see the image of God as such a central reality in this series and in just this topic of how we communicate. How does that relate to race in the church and race with our culture and, and our neighbors as well? Oh, definitely. Um, th- this is something we have to understand, this, this uh, doctrine of the image of God. It's foundational to how we understand and perceive the world. Uh, we know this to be true. We know uh, the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, uh, lays out foundational doctrines that provide the base for everything else that follows, both in Scripture but also in uh, time and in history. And talked in there toward the end of that, that chapter is uh, Genesis 1 verse 27. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. This is at, at the heart of who we are, uh, what makes uh, human beings, men and women, unique to the rest of creation. And it talks to us about the value of who we are and who others are. It defines how we live our lives, and it defines how we interact with each other. And it's, it's not surprising that, that James, in James chapter 3, when he's talking about the use of the tongue and the ways that the tongue can be destructive, but the ways that we can use it for good, that he takes us back there, uh, back to the beginning, and encourages us to think about the fact that when we curse others who are made in the likeness of God, that that stands in conflict with with the same tongue blessing our Lord and Father. And so it invests in human beings this, this innate value. They were created with value because they're made in the image of God. And that image of God, which our confessional standards summarize as having to do with knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, that, that principle applies unto everyone, all men and women who have been created. And so it changes how we, we um, think about people and how we speak to people. So, for instance, James 3, verses 9 through 12, uh, it tells us that, that one of the fruits of conversion is it will speak about people in a certain way, that will affirm them as we're able to and, and speak uh, words that encourage and strengthen them rather than words that tear them down. But it also speaks to how we listen to people. It's interesting, you know, James repeats themes several times in his, in his letter. Uh, at the beginning, in talking in particular about speech, he says that we should be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. And there's a, a lot of things tied up in that, but one of them is that we should be quick to listen to others. So this should change as well, not just how we speak to people, but how we listen to them, that we value hearing their stories. We uh, value and affirm them in the places where we, we can affirm them. It even means, and we'll get to this in a little bit, it even means that we're uh, willing and ready to listen to people, even those with whom we know we have fundamental disagreements, uh, because we value them as being made in the image of God. So I suspect we'll come back to the image of God, but I, I was thinking maybe I could um, just take a step back for a minute. Of all topics that we've talked about, this is one that is not at all clinical. It's not at all just a purely intellectual topic. I wonder if you would mind um, just sort of thinking out loud a little bit for the listeners, how have you engaged and processed what's gone on in America in 2020? I'm, I'm thinking co- sort of as a, as, a, as a marker George Floyd's death 
and then you know the rise of the protests and, and things after that and just how it's become such a political issue. I'm wondering, you, middle-aged, white guy in America, but the chair of the Committee on Home Missions and Church Extension, just take me through a little bit how you've thought about things and processed things, if you don't mind sharing that a little bit. Yeah, that huh. there's so much we could say. I, I think one of the things I want to say is that it's been a humbling year. It's a reminder of how much I have to learn, how much I need to grow uh, to become more like my Savior, to grow in, in patience and love and compassion. Uh, I think most of us process these things uh, more clearly when they're somehow personal or connected to things that are personal. And so just a little of uh, my own experience, there's experiences, there are several uh, of these events over the last couple of years that have had a profound impact on my thinking, but even a profound emotional impact. So even going back to July of 2016, uh, Philando Castile, um, some of you know that I was a pastor in, in St. Paul, Minnesota before uh, I moved to Philadelphia, you know, eight years ago. That particular event and the a shooting that led to the death of Philando Castile. That happened oh, about two miles, maybe three miles from the church where I was a pastor. And I happened to be in the Twin Cities on vacation with my family at a friend's house about four miles away and drove through the inter uh, that intersection the next morning. You know, you add to that the events with um, George Floyd earlier this year and his uh, being killed again uh, in the Twin Cities. Some of the protests were uh, nearby, again, to the church uh, where I was a pastor. And, and again, this summer, we were uh, on vacation as a family, and I, I intentionally drove through some of those neighborhoods just to be reminded of what had happened. And, you know, we're not paying attention if we're not broken in some way over injustice and violence. I, I believe that both of those men uh, were murdered. And I, I need to wrestle through that. What does that mean about how I speak and how I listen to people who've been profoundly impacted by uh, those circumstances? What does it mean that uh, two men who are made in the image of God uh, were struck down unjustly? Uh, that should cause us grief and sorrow, and sh it should cause us to stop, um, even to reckon with with ourselves and how we deal with these issues, with inequalities and injustice that we've watched and been silent over, or even ones that we've perpetuated. And so to me, the most significant um, response has been to just be quiet, to pray, to read uh, resources that can be helpful to me, to think about issues of race in uh, more careful ways. To confess my own sin where it needs to be confessed, uh, to pray for those who are suffering. And then I think maybe most uh, significant for me has been to talk to people, friends who, uh, because of uh, race and background, have faced oppression in a variety of ways. And to, as best as I'm able, uh, put down some preconceived notions and listen really carefully. Uh, and, and that's been for me, uh, you know, the last five or six years in particular, just a desire to be much more quiet and to listen more carefully 
and be willing to have my own views challenged and to not feel threatened by that. If I could push that maybe just a little bit further, as much as you're comfortable, um, could you share a little bit how you've helped your family think about this? What kind of dynamic people might not know, you know, your situation, how many kids you have and things like that. You, would you be willing to share a little bit about the types of things without without putting your kids on the spot or or singling them out or anything like that? Just kind of the, the types of things that have come up, the types of dynamics that maybe you've thought about that might help other people uh, think about things. I suspect a lot of listeners on this topic might be thinking, you know, what should I be talking about? What Who should I be listening to? And I just wondered if you've had any interactions with your family that would be enlightening to listeners. Yeah. So uh, my wife, Ann, and I have five children. Uh, they're between the ages of eight and 23. Uh, all of them either attend right now or have attended uh, Philmont Christian Academy, which is a school here, a Christian school here in the Philadelphia area. Uh, my wife is also a high school teacher there. The school is, uh, it has no uh, racial majority so it's a diverse school, which we're really thankful for. And it, it does mean that my uh, children have had conversations that I didn't have growing up because their uh, experience and their uh, collection of friends is uh, much more diverse than mine was growing up. It means my wife has had you know, discussions in her high school classroom that have been hard with uh, young people with differing views who are you know, emotionally attached to those views. And she's had to kind of shepherd students through that. And we've had to shepherd my kids through it. And we could add just this additional aspect that our, our youngest daughter is uh, adopted. She's Mexican-American. And uh, without getting too far into politics, you know, questions about building walls and those kind of things. Uh, and even some of the insensitive ways that those things have been communicated. Um, they agitate my children when they hear uh, insensitive comments in that way because they see their sister uh, and they see her, in, in their opinion, being devalued because of uh, race and ethnicity. And so we've had to grapple with the stuff with our kids. It's been valuable. We have good friends uh, in the school, you know, parents and, and their children who have helped us in a variety of ways. And some of them probably don't even know they've helped us, but just sharing their own experiences have been, that, that's been a valuable thing for our whole family. Um, so we're, you know, just barely on the road. I did want to say, I mean, I'm, I'm entering into this topic is difficult in that uh, I feel like I have so far to go to even come to the beginnings of an understanding of, of how to be useful uh, and how to be an encouragement to people who've suffered. But I also believe it's significant and we should be willing to do that work. You had mentioned earlier, um, just a few minutes ago, the idea of one of the things that you've either learned or, or, or taken opportunity to do is be a little bit quieter, listen. Uh, one of your posts on a time, it was called A Time to Listen, where you shared your reflections and an article from Shai Lin uh, that was one of the top viewed and top read posts. And I, I wonder when you say a time to be a bit quieter, 
a time to listen. We all know what you mean, but it's also a little bit difficult to figure out what that exactly looks like when you're quiet and listen. Who who are you listening to? And I don't, I don't even necessarily mean like you don't have to even give me names and, and political leaders and things like that if you don't want. I'm just thinking, who who do you talk to? Who do you listen to? How does that manifest itself in weekly, monthly, day-to-day life? Um, first, first off, um, I've intentionally built a reading list, probably starting from the books that I think I'm going to have most agreement with and then moving to ones that are going to challenge me more. Uh, just a couple examples of, of books this year that have been helpful to me and then these authors have become people I, you know, I follow in different ways online to learn from. Uh, Benjamin Watson, he's a, a retired football player, a Christian, Christian man. Dad's a pastor. He wrote a book called Under Our Skin. He's an African American football player who grew up in the Southeast, and his book Under Our Skin was really helpful to me and just. Uh, both sharing his own experience, but also opening up the scriptures a little bit, uh, how Christians should be um, thinking about race. And, and he continues to uh, write. He's also doing some work on for pro-life causes. And I found him to be a helpful voice. Secondly, uh, Jasmine Holmes. She wrote a book called Mother to Son, Letters to a Black Boy on Identity and Hope. It's probably been the most helpful book on this particular issue that I've read this year. Uh, just her trying to communicate to her son and now sons uh, about what it means to be a Christian, but also uh, to be black. And and to be honest, it it doesn't surprise me that it's been helpful because we've probably learned more from parents, uh, African-American parents, about how they talk to their kids and work through hard issues. That's where I've learned a lot is, is from those friends who've been helpful to our family. Shailene, of course, has been helpful to me. Anthony Bradley is another one uh, that, I'm, that I'm paying attention to. He, he presses me, and I don't always agree with him, but sometimes I don't think I agree with him, and, and I end up uh, having my mind changed. He's been helpful to me. Uh, and then some other things as a family. We watched a movie called Just Mercy. Uh, we didn't. Our youngest didn't watch it. She wasn't ready for that, but the rest of us, six of us, watched it. We had a a family movie night. We watched it. We sat down and talked about it. Uh, several of us have read the book on which the movie was based. Uh, my wife and I just bought some more books that were recommended by by Brian Stevenson, the one who, who wrote the book, and it's about his own experiences as a civil rights attorney. Uh, I, he's changed my mind on some things. He's been helpful to me. Um, and so those are some of the some of the voices I'm trying to listen to. But really, the most helpful to me has has been friends especially parents who are wrestling through how to how to raise their children in a world where there is racism and racial violence uh, and Christian friends in particular who are grappling with that. Uh, I've learned more that I can even lay out in detail just from watching them and hearing them and talking to them. Yeah, John, thanks for sharing the particulars. I think I, I appreciate you kind of opening up about how you and your family are processing things. And you gave some things there that I think are manageable for any family, for anybody. Um, not everybody may be able to build a reading list of four or five or six books, but people can have a family movie night. They can have a conversation. They can talk to friends. So I, I think people will find that helpful. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, thinking about the OPC and the churches in the OPC as we sort of broaden the conversation a little bit. I'm guessing most people 
aren't going to point to the OPC as cutting edge on this issue, and that's fine. But what I have found interesting in working with you and working with others is there's some really good things going on in the OPC and in OPC churches that are probably a lot of people don't hear about. I wonder if you want to comment on any of the interactions or, or things you've heard that would help people to understand that, okay, so you know maybe people aren't looking to the OPC as the, 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 the perfect answer on race, as if there is any perfect answer on race. But what have you seen that's encouraged you from churches, from pastors, from just members of the congregation uh, throughout the years as you get to hear more of what's going on than a lot of us do? That's a really good question, Brad. Um, I think it helps to start with some basic principles. And these are principles that apply to evangelism and outreach as a whole. So Eric Hausler, uh, I reference him periodically. He's an OP pastor down in Naples. And when he, he talks about evangelism, one of the pieces of advice he gives is that we need to stop seeing people as landscape or machines, but rather as souls with an everlasting destiny. And what he means by that is, you know, people are either, you know, sometimes we see them as landscape. In other words, there are people that we see regularly and they're just kind of the scene that we pass every day. So if you go to the same grocery store, the same park, there might be people you see regularly and you nod to them, uh, but you don't really spend time with them, interact with them. And then machines would be people who serve us. So the barista at the coffee shop, the uh, clerk at the grocery store, people that we uh, that that serve us in a variety of ways that we sometimes almost forget that they're they're people made in the image of God because they're there mostly to uh, accomplish something to help us. Instead, seeing people as as living beings with souls that will never die, with everlasting destinies, that should change how we interact with people. And I think sometimes. Uh, we assume that we live in a neighborhood in a world where there's very little diversity, but if we opened up our eyes, we would see a lot of people who don't look like us and whose experiences are very different than us. And there's value in slowing down and knowing those people, asking them questions, hearing their experience. And you, you can see, I think, pretty quickly how this moves from book knowledge. I think, you know, I gave some recommended books and I think they're useful uh, movies that you can watch, but living, breathing people that you know, and that you know enough that you have affection for them, their stories take on a different kind of significance. And so I, I think just having our eyes open to people and relationships, you begin to hear stories. Uh, I mean, this is this is our family's experience. You hear stories about moms who, when their sons, 20-year-old, get in the car, they're concerned, are they going to get home safely? Those, have, those kinds of stories have an impact because you know the people. In the same way that I mentioned at the beginning, my own experience and the stories you tend to connect to are places, happen in places where you already have some knowledge or experience. But, but people that you know, who know you well enough that they can say, I, I don't think you're hearing the situation clearly and who you can have hard conversations with where you might not agree on everything, but your perspective can be broadened. Your views might change a little bit. Those are the relationships that we need. And so I think just looking for 
relationships with a broad base of people. You know, I, I mentioned earlier in, uh, you know, in thinking about James, that part of communication is also how we listen. Uh, and I think if we're only listening, if we're mostly listening to people with whom we we have fundamental agreement, we're probably not learning that much. We're learning something, and I don't want to devalue that. But you learn differently when you're willing to build relationships with people and listen to people, even when you know you have fundamental disagreements or differences in background or whatever. And I, I think we need that broader base. And so I guess that's part of my encouragement is just to get to know folks uh, and value uh, stories and opinions and the thought of people who might think very differently than you do. Uh, and I find that to be some of the times when I learn the most and I grow the most. So earlier in the year, uh, we had uh, a podcast with Eric Watkins from St. Augustine and his uh, fellow ruling elder, Terrence Dickerson, widely encouraging to lots of people to hear that podcast where they, uh, among many things they talked about, they talked about some ministry opportunities they had in the weeks after George Floyd's death. Uh, both to people in the community, to police officers, to groups, you know, that were hurting. I wonder um, if you have encountered other stories, instances in OPC churches. Again, it could just be small ways, but have you heard things where people have, through this difficult time, had opportunities open to them that people might be encouraged to hear about and think about in their own context, what small way could I you know, sort of either mimic that or what opportunities maybe we haven't seen because we haven't heard what, what people are doing or what opportunities people took advantage of. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. That's getting back to the question I never answered. I got, got sidetracked there. Thanks for bringing me back. Uh, I, I think, you know, this is where I was planning to head, first of all, with the Eric Hausler story. I mean, what, what they found in their church is this willingness to see people in that way uh, has led them to inviting people from all different sorts of backgrounds uh, to visit the church. And so they have, they have folks from various uh, races and uh, ethnicities in the church who visited or stayed. They've had people from different religious backgrounds. So, you know, Muslim, Buddhist, etc., cetera, uh, visiting the church. Uh, they've had a, a thriving outreach to people who, you know, in various ways are going through either substance abuse counseling or released from prison, which I know now we're not talking about race. We're talking about uh, other things. But in other words, their willingness to see every person as an opportunity for relationship and conversation uh, has led to people from a, a host of different backgrounds uh, and experiences visiting and some of them staying in the church. I think that's true of St. Augustine as well. I don't think I need to add to any of the things that Eric talked about there, but that that's what's happened there. I mean, they've been willing to interact with all sorts of people in all sorts of different venues, and it's open things like participating in this prayer service in the midst of really hard events that shook their, their community. Chris Cashin has been serving in Clarkston, Georgia, and they've had immigrant families living in their house that they've been helping as they work through the process. These were refugees who've been chased from their country, who've needed assistance 
with transportation, with all the different documentation needed for immigration and the naturalization kind of things that need to happen to rent and to uh, to work. And so Chris and others in that group and uh, Chris and his wife have, have uh, had opportunities to serve people from a variety of countries. And, you know, I could come up with others from, uh, you know, other examples as well. But I, I think just looking for those opportunities, whether it's organizations near your church that already exist that create those opportunities, or whether it's, you know, going to the same coffee shop or restaurant over and over again to the point where you can start to have conversations with people who work there or people who are frequently there eating, those open up opportunities for us to, to uh, meet and talk to people from a variety of backgrounds uh, and, and races. And then I think as you're in those conversations, taking time to ask questions, to hear people's stories, uh, some of the things, uh, Brad, that you wrote about in the importance of a story, I think though you know applying those lessons then in those contexts open up all sorts of opportunities to meet people from a variety of backgrounds. Yeah, that's helpful. I'm I'm not going to be able to come up with the places or names right now, but I've noticed uh, in home missions today reports of you know just unexpected opportunities to reach out to people of uh, either immigrants or different different ethnicities. And have just been a huge encouragement to some young church plants. We've sort of touched on this, John, but I'm going to come back now to the image of God in particular. It's true of a lot of topics today. You and I talked about social media quite a bit in the intro podcast we did for this series. And and we don't have to talk specifically about social media. But communication in a hot-button topic like race, it's very easy, especially in the world we live in, for this to become about an idea about politics, about institutions, and lose the idea that this is about people. You know, maybe more than any other topic we've talked about so far, this is about people and hurting people and people who are hurting. And I wonder if you just have some thoughts about as you, as we circle back, as we kind of wind down on this topic in the image of God, just draw some, some thoughts on how we can focus on the people aspect of this, whether it's making an announcement at church, whether it's certain posts that individuals make or pastors make or churches make online or whatever it is, what have you been reminded of to keep at the forefront that this is about people? Yeah, it it almost seems obvious to say that our culture, our nation is fixated on politics and the divisions of politics. And, you know, we're coming to the end of a year where that's been obvious on a whole host of levels, not just a presidential election, but some of the challenges and and difficulties of of this calendar year. And I think one of the ways that the world has influenced the church that we need to really think about is that we've been too quick to embrace one or the other side. And, And what that does is it reduces these issues to, like you said, sound bites, but it also reduces it to parties or institutions that aren't the church. And I guess part of what we need is an ability to hear people well. Uh, we have a Savior who's compassionate, uh, who, who loved people, who was quick to embrace people in the Gospels that religious leaders were shunning or openly uh, rejecting. 
And I know there's nuance there, and I get that, but we need to model his compassion. He's also an empathetic and sympathetic savior and high priest who hears well uh, the pain and suffering of the oppressed, especially the pain and suffering of his, his children. I, I, and I know that's an emphasis, but if you're reading the Psalms and the prophets and you're not seeing compassion and concern for those who have been oppressed in a variety of ways, then we're probably missing something we need to see. And that should be guiding us in times like this year, where between uh, a pandemic and great loss and concern over an election and rights that will be gained or lost or wherever you fall on that spectrum and issues of race and violence and loss of life, the church's response should be one of compassion, empathy, and sympathy to listen well to those who are suffering. You know, a passage to consider is, is maybe Psalm 146. Uh, it's a psalm of praise that opens up, you know, the, the end of the book of Psalms. But there's also a description of our Redeemer. And it's interesting, the full, uh, the full picture of what God is doing and the descriptions that are there that you find echoed in the gospel um, that he cares for the oppressed, he cares for physical needs, he cares for emotional needs, and he saves from sin. You know, maybe I should say it the other way. He saves from sin, and in doing that, he also cares for physical, spiritual, or physical, emotional uh, needs, and he's concerned for those who are oppressed. And I think that's a message we need to hear, because if our Savior cares for us in that way, he's called us to care for others in a similar way after the example of our Savior. He's not primarily an example, but he is an example. And we're called to be conformed to his image. And to so quickly divide and pick up sound bites and join organizations, you know, to identify ourselves by organizations in such a way that we shut off conversation with a variety of people it just seems counter to that image. Thanks for your time today, John. I think that um, people will find this helpful, and I know that uh, we're going to have you back again for another hard topic, uh, which people will hear in the future. But thanks for taking the time today and, and kind of digging into a, to a difficult uh, topic, and we'll look forward to having you back. Thanks, Brad. Glad to do it. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.